Today's lesson is from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21 and 26 to 28. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from them, turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the seventh chapter, beginning at the 21st verse. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been built on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord. As we remain standing, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. And I'd pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way. Far less of me and far more of you. That your people gathered this morning would be edified and your son Jesus glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated please? Today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of our series. What have we heard and how then shall we live? 
One of the ways we may reflect on whether we've heard Jesus rightly is to ask, am I responding the way those original listeners responded and how'd they respond? Well, Matthew tells us in our closing verses, he says they were astonished. It's an incredibly strong word. It means amazed, thunderstruck, shocked to their senses. A word that is in the imperfect tense, meaning that the more and more they thought about Jesus' words, the more and more astounded they became. Why? Well, Matthew always also tells us that. They were astounded because he spoke with authority and not as their scribes. Again, Matthew uses a very distinctive word. It's exousia. Exo, out of, usia, being. He spoke with authority, with exousia, with out of being. His words resonating with the way that life was meant to be lived, ringing with the really real, congruent with the way that humanity was meant to live. He had said things like, do not respond to wrong with bitterness, anger, and resentment, but rather love, forgive, pray. Speak plainly, faithfully, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Don't rest your security on money and things, they're passing away. Rather, rest your security on God's love and give generously. Don't judge. Speak truth in love. They heard this, and they were astounded. For he spoke with exousia, with authority, with out of being, his words resonating with the way that life was meant to be lived. And they knew it, they sensed it, and they were astounded. Have we heard Jesus' words that same way? I pray so, and if so, how then shall we live? In the conclusion that we began to look at last week, Jesus is inviting decision, and he closes with an image that is perfectly in keeping with their response, an image of two builders, one wise, the other foolish. An image that it would immediately conjure up in his listeners' mind a genre of literature that they were very familiar with, that of wisdom literature. You see, huge swaths of the Hebrew Scriptures were given over to this, most notably the book of Proverbs. And wisdom literature arises out of the conviction that in creation God brings order out of chaos, forms what is formless, patterns what is patternless. And we all know that there's a fabric, an order, a pattern to our physical reality. We can study it and quantify it, and we ignore it to our peril. If an engineer builds a bridge that is not in keeping with the fabric that God has knit into physical reality, that bridge will fail. And wisdom literature says that just as God has knit a fabric into our physical reality, God has knit a fabric into every other aspect of life. There's a fabric to relationships, to raising children, to work, to the use of our words, our time, our money. And wisdom literature is constantly comparing the wise and the foolish. 
The wise are those who live in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation. And the fools are those who live out of step with the fabric that God has knit into creation. And as a result, the wise flourish and fools flounder. And this is what Jesus is pointing to in this image of the wise and foolish builders. And the crowd's response affirms that. Because he's speaking with exousia, with out of being, his teaching is consistent with the fabric that God has knit into the created order, into our humanity. And that linkage is made even stronger when we realize that this image is not original to Jesus. It's taken right out of the book of Proverbs, 10.25, in fact. When the tempest passes, the wicked, the foolish, are no more. But the righteous, the wise, are established forever. Now, how does this image invite us then to respond to Jesus' words? I mean, it's a very familiar passage, and many popular Christian songs have been written about it. So, very easily, we could step back and think, well, I know what this is about. As the song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Ah, oh, Jesus is the rock, and if I build my life on him, I will remain standing when the storm comes, but if not, I will be wept away. But is that what Jesus is comparing? If it is, then we should see some evidence of it already in the sermon but we don't. He's talking about those who are seeking to live out God's law. And he says, don't do it that way, do it this way. He's speaking to those who are praying and giving and fasting. When you pray, give fast. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. In the conclusion, he makes it even clearer. I reprinted a few of the verses that Karen wonderfully took us through last week. He's speaking to those who are theologically sound. They say, Lord, Adonai, Jesus, your God. Not only Lord, but Lord, Lord, a Semitic way of expressing passion. They're passionate about Jesus, Lord, Lord. And not only that, they're engaged in the work of the kingdom. Did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And yet... And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Meaning that Jesus is comparing people who on the surface look exactly the same. Both the wise and the foolish are professing followers of Jesus. Both are hearing his words, committed to living them out. The only difference is the foundation. And it's a storm that will reveal the foundation. Have you ever been to parts of the U.S. where they frequently encounter hurricanes? Driven through one of those gated communities where every third house is the same model, repeated street after street, house after house. Now if I asked you which one you thought would more be able to weather a hurricane, would you be able to tell me? Likely not, right? Because the structure, the foundation that gives it the ability to weather a hurricane is 
hidden from view. On the surface, those houses are going to look exactly the same. In 1992, Hurricane Andrew destroyed thousands of homes in South Florida. In one area, the wreckage looked like a war zone. But one house stood right in the middle, relatively untouched, securely anchored to its foundation. A reporter went to the homeowner and asked why his house had not been blown away. And the man said, well, this house was built exactly to code. When the code called for two-by-six trusses, two-by-six trusses were used. A house built to code was meant to withstand a hurricane, and it did. On the outside, you'd never be able to tell which one was able to weather the storm because they all looked exactly the same. It was only a storm that revealed the foundation. It's the same with our lives in Jesus. We may hear Jesus' words, study them, read about them, listen to sermons on them, get into small groups and talk about them. We may be committed to God's word. Yes, I'm going to follow him regardless. But when the storm comes, will Jesus and his words be our foundation? Or will we be hearers only? For the foolish, as Dale Bruner puts it, are those who find Jesus' words important enough to hear, but not realistic enough to live. The foolish are those who see Jesus' words as important enough to hear, but not realistic enough to live. Now, before I give an example to bring this more to life, let me say this. The storm will come regardless The follower of Jesus is not immune to the storms of life. Death, broken relationship, illness, conflict, job loss, financial ruin, every storm that is common to our humanity has and will come upon the follower of Jesus. It can't be staved off by theological conviction, sincerity, obedience. It will come regardless. Now, I say this plainly because for far too long, people like me have said something other than that. We've said that coming to Jesus will free you from pain and suffering and help you realize all of your hopes and dreams for life. We held up testimonies of those who had very clear before and afters. Before Jesus, I was like this. But now after Jesus, peace, love, joy, and groovy feelings, the spouse, the kids, the job, the health. And many brought into such a lie. It sounds great. Nice to believe that. But then the storm came. And it was the undoing of everything that they believed in. The storm will come regardless. Every storm that is common to our humanity has and will come upon the follower of Jesus. The question that Jesus' image poses is, When the storm comes, will you do what Jesus asks you to do? When the storm comes, will you do what Jesus asks you to do? Now let me give an example, one I think that we can all relate to. 
Someone wrongs you, deeply wrongs you, with words, with action, inaction, diminishing you, taking something from you. The storm has come, a storm that will lay a choice before you. Will you take the path of vengeance, retaliation, anger, or the path of Jesus, of forgiveness and love? For Jesus' words ring with authority, with exousia, with out of being. They resonate with the way that life is meant to be lived. They're consistent with the fabric that God has knit into creation, into our humanity. And the wise will live in step with that fabric and flourish, and the foolish will live out of step with that fabric and flounder. And we know that, don't we? Living out of step with the fabric of forgiveness and love diminishes us. We will become less than human. It is said that the one who chooses a path of retaliation and vengeance should dig two graves for good reason. Holding on to the hurt that another has caused us allows what they have done to us to control us. Sowing the seeds of bitterness and resentment, souring every other relationship, every other aspect of love, life. To choose not to forgive is to drink poison and to think that it'll kill the other person. But, but, to live in step with the fabric of forgiveness and love will leave you standing in the midst of the storm. For to forgive is to let a prisoner free and then to realize that that prisoner was you. To pray is to recreate God's heart for them in you. To love is the only power that can bring any lasting change to that relationship. You see, this image is not a threat of God's judgment. Be a doer of Jesus' words or else... It's simply reflecting reality. If you, in the face of the storm, live in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation, into your humanity, you will flourish. If you do not, you will be diminished. You'll become less than human. I don't know the nature of the storm that you're facing right now, but more than likely, it's revealing your foundation. For if in the storm we do not do what Jesus asks us to do, something else is our foundation. Something else is our Lord. It might be money, things, self-sufficiency, comfort, reputation, status. If in the storm we do not do what Jesus asks us to do, something else is our foundation, something else our Lord. You see, at some level, this image boils down, essentially, to functional trust. Do we trust Jesus enough to do what he asks us to do? I think we often in the Christian life divorce will from faith, action from belief. Let's say that I invited Karen up and said, Karen, you're the newest member of the team. I want to do this little trust-building exercise so that we can build the team together. I want you to turn around with your back toward me, and when I say fall, fall, and I'll catch you. 
Now, Karen could go away and tell everyone how trustworthy I am. If I fell backwards, Tim's going to catch me. She could create statements about how trustworthy I am, write and sing songs about how trustworthy I am, get into small groups and talk about how trustworthy I am. But until she actually falls back, trusting that I'll catch her, she has no business saying that she trusts me. Daryl Johnson gives an illustration, I think, to bring this home. So imagine for a moment that you're not feeling well. You go to your doctor, she checks you out, runs some tests, and because she's a brilliant doctor, she diagnoses you, and she gives you a plan for your wellness. So I want you to go home, and for the next week, I want you to take these two pills in the morning. I want you to cut out candy and eat three vegetables a day, and then go for a two-mile walk. Okay, you got it? The pills, no candy, vegetables, two-mile walk. Okay, got it. And on your way out, you check in with the receptionist. You say, oh, this doctor is absolutely brilliant. I'm so glad I found her. I feel so warm and loved and cared for by her. She understands me. You go home. The next day, you take one pill. You eat a small handful of Smarties, but they were very small. You eat two of the three vegetables, and then you walk a half a mile. It's a nicer walk than the two. And you know what? I know myself better than she does. And that pattern then continues for the rest of the week. At the end of the week, you go back to the doctor, and she says, Good morning, good morning. How are you doing? Uh, Well, not so well. Oh dear, she said, I'm surprised. Usually when I tell people to do that for this problem, they get better over the course of that week. Tell me, did you do what I asked you to do? Well, sort of. Sort of? What do you mean, sort of? Well, you, you know, sort of. Well, did you take the two pills a day? Well, sort of. Sort of. I, I took one. I said to take two. I know. Did you knock off the candy? Sort of. Sort of. Well, I took a couple of handfuls, but they were very small handfuls. I said, no candy. Yes, I know. Tell me, do you want to get well? Well, of course. Uh, Well, I wonder, did, did you eat those three kinds of vegetables? Don't tell me sort of. Oh, yeah, I only had one or two a day. Did you end up walking a mile? Uh, Only half. She says, do you trust me? Oh, yeah, of course I trust you. You're the best. Well, yeah, I heard you say that to my receptionist on the way out. But if I'm the best, why do you not trust me? I do trust you. No, you don't. How can you say that to me? because you do not do what I asked you to do. The decision this image lays before us is ultimately a question of trust. When the storm comes, will I do what he asks me to do? Or will something else function as my Lord, as my foundation? Jesus asks, do you trust me enough to do what I ask you to do? 
Strikingly, there's quite a shift in Jesus' conclusion. All of a sudden, he begins to talk a lot about himself. The use of personal pronouns comes quickly and repeatedly, I, me, my. Not everyone who says to me, whoever does the will of my father, on that day many will say to me, and I will declare to them. Anyone who hears and does these words of mine, all of a sudden he's drawing attention to himself. And it makes central a question. Who is this teacher on the mount? The one who calls God my father. The one who equates his words with the will of the father. The one who claims to be our final judge. Who is this one who claims to know the fabric that God has knit into creation? Who is this one? And that question has come to the crowd. And they're astonished, amazed, thunderstruck, shocked to their senses. And the more and more they think about Jesus' words, the more astounded they become. Why? Because Jesus speaks with authority, with exousia, with out of being. His words resonating with the way that life is meant to be lived, ringing with the really real, congruent with the way humanity was meant to be. Why? For he is the one in whom and through whom everything was created. In him the fabric of creation was knit. Every other foundation other than him will ultimately fail you. For everything else other than him changes, decays, dies, passes away. But not Jesus. He's eternal, unchanging, faithful to the end. No other foundation will forgive you, love you, extend to you lavish grace and mercy. Only Jesus. And as we come to him, as we know his grace, his love, his power, as we found our life in him and upon him, we find that his commands are promises. That we can do what he asks us to do because he is who he says he is. We've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What have we heard? And how then shall we live? Will we do what he asks us to do? Because he is who he says he is. That is the question that Jesus lays before all of us this morning. Will you do what I ask you to do? Because I am who I say I am. May we choose this day whom we will serve. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.